Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, come on you buccaneers, let's jump in the Barracuda and go to the store with SST-221, the Leaving Trains Transportational Devices LP. Now we took the summer off and we're back for our final run of the year here. Yet again, while on break, I hardly got anything done and I feel no more rested, but it's time for our our last run for 2022 and we're starting off with one of our faves believing trains you know they've got great music and a great cast of characters so really looking forward to getting into this i actually really love this record and when i was listening to it i was like i bet you brant loves this record too and all the the guitar playing in particular on it so looking forward to getting into that yeah uh before we do that though since it's been so long since we've gotten together brant i gotta do a quick friendship test <laughs> all right are you ready i uh, well i don't know okay i guess i'm gonna have to be yeah this is a bit random but if anyone can get it you can get it okay all right you ready mm-hmm. quiet as a mouse gentle as a lamb happy as a clam dead as a doorknob ding 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 <laughs> Atta boy. okay we're still friends thank goodness um that's it that's you, the test that's the test we're still friends why don't you tell us what you did on your Mojack vacation? I feel like you maybe saw Anthrax. Yeah. Uh, well, total shocker. I spent most of it listening to music, watching movies and documentaries and reading books. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be spe- you know, spieling about some of that in the next few weeks. But yes, I saw Anthrax, one of my all-time favorite bands um, in Toronto. A Black Label Society opened up. I've seen them a few times on like package tours and, you know... Wouldn't I would never go out of my way to see Black Label Society. You know, I think I've been critical of Zach's style, maybe. Like, I'm not a fan of it mm. uh, on the show before, but I have to say they were pretty good. I might have to get a Black Label Society back patch for my sleeveless jean jacket or something. Your battle jacket? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's already an Iron Maiden uh, Two Minutes to Midnight back patch on there. So Don't touch that. Yeah. Their fans are so weird. Black Label Society, they just strike you as the type of fans who just hate every other band. Like they only <laughs> like Black Label Society. I don't know. Anthrax has always were un- unbelievably tight. They played a total greatest hit set. Joey was on top form. Remember like earlier this year or last year or whenever it was, I was talking about their 40th anniversary documentary? Yes. That, that they put up on YouTube. So... This was technically their 40th anniversary tour. Uh, you know, the place was just packed to the knots with skids too. And and they have this <laughs> this huge curtain in front of the stage and they're playing clips of like celebrities and peers from those interviews. Oh, yeah. Like before the band starts, like an intro. You know, it was like 10 minutes or whatever. And every time a new talking head pops up on the screen, the crowd, you know, cheers. Yep. Occasionally, occasionally booze. So I was yeah. kind of like amusing myself by seeing the different levels of cheering. Yeah. Who got the biggest cheers? Like Corey Taylor, uh, Gene Simmons, Brand Daler from Mastodon, Rob Zombie, Dave Mustaine, Carrie King, these kinds of people. Lady Gaga got booed. But uh, our, our guy, Henry Rollins, got probably the loudest roar of approval. Really? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, nobody's perfect. Neither is Henry, but I don't know. Henry's Henry. Yeah. How do you boo Henry? Yeah. I also, Ryan, uh, watched the Guar documentary, This Is Guar. Have you seen that? I have not. Where did you see it? 
Uh, it's up on Shutter. So do you have to? Oh, you gotta like do a digital purchase type thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe you could buy it on iTunes or something. I don't know. But directed by Scott Barber, it's just a truly excellent documentary. Everyone participated, past and present. You know, they do an amazing job of using archival footage of Dave Brocky, like home movie style stuff. Mm-hmm. No real mention of alternatives, unfortunately, but they do talk about Richmond and the dairy and all that stuff. Highly yeah. recommend that one. Yeah, is is Bobst in it? At least I'm sure he is, right? Uh, yep, pretty sure he is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was gonna wa- ask whether Alternatives was in there. Yeah, I also got around to watching that Triumph documentary, Rock and Roll Machine. It's good, right? Yeah, made by Sam Dunn and the crew behind Banger Films. For me, they're really they've really become synonymous with making top shelf documentaries about bands. Mm-hmm. This might be their best. It's very Canadian, which of course I love because I grew up a metalhead in Canada in the 80s and it, (laughs) you know, uh, it just really took me back. It's worth your time just for the scenes with Sebastian Bach. Oh yeah. (laughs) Very true. Yeah. Even if you're not a Triumph fan, you should, you should watch that documentary ASAP. Okay. Ryan book report. I read a bunch of books, so I have kind of a spiel backlog, but I want to mention my number one fave that I read uh, this summer, and it's The Road Bends, an autobiography by Sammy Yaffa. Sammy played in not one, but two of my all-time favorite bands, Hanoi Rocks and the New York Dolls. Uh, he goes through the entire history of growing up in Finland, getting into punk rock, his first punk bands, the birth of Hanoi Rocks and, you know, all the recording sessions. It's a Hanoi fan's dream. I loved every minute of it. He talks about all of his projects, Demolition 23, Jerusalem Slim. Ryan, remember? Where do I remember that from? Well, uh... Did that, you try and make me listen to them? No, that's the band he had with Michael Monroe of Hanoi, Steve Stevens of Billy Idol fame, and Greg Ellis, who played drums on Paul Rossler's Abominable album oh, okay yeah Boy, that's that's a that's a throwback that's an obscure one yeah. i don't i don't remember that but thanks for the reminder yeah, they're on the tree big chapters on his time in jet boy joan jet and the black hearts fallen angels the excellent but short-lived supergroup he had with Knox of the vibrators his time in murphy's law he was in the, he talks about the time he was in the helicopters so much more uh but for me uh next to Han- the hanoi stuff is this is the most in-depth stuff we have on the second phase of the New York Dolls. Like, I've read every book there is on which, the Dolls. But which second phase of the New York Dolls? Like, L- like know, the, the like last the re- 15 like, years or whatever. Yeah, okay, okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. I thought you meant, like, Malcolm McLaren, second phase. Yeah, you know? that, that hardly counts. But, you know, I've read every book there is on the Dolls and Thunders, even Sylvain Sylvain's book. You know, they only cover the original incarnation and Mm -hmm. obviously that's what most people want to read about. Uh, And I get that, but it was great to read about that comeback era. Uh, So highly recommended. And I think I saw Martin Scorsese is doing a documentary on David Johansson. So, Oh, that'd be cool. Scorsese does good music documentaries. Mm -hmm. I'm not really a big fan of many of his subjects, but he does a good job. Yeah, yeah. For sure he does. That's really all I have, Ryan. I've, you know, I've got so much more that I'll just trickle out in the next, next few episodes here. Yeah, me too. I've got so much that, um, I was going to mention, well, actually before I get into that, just on the rock doc tip, I'll mention too, that I watched, 
I, I watched Decline of Western Civilization 2. That's the metal one. Yeah. I haven't seen I haven't seen that for over 20 years, but I I stumbled across it and I watched it. My god, that is Odin. just in. Odin. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's so little that's redeeming about anything in that documentary. It's it's uh it just reminded me about you know jocks and skids in high school making fun of me. So, bleh. um but I also uh stumbled across a free documentary that was kind of cool on youtube called record safari digging the crates of america hmm. it's by this guy alex rodriguez he's basically the buyer for the coachella music festival they have like a a record store at coachella he buys for it he drives around hmm. fills up his car ships it back um very cool if you want to just like deepen your appreciation for the physical uh medium of vinyl and um uh, you know, really, really geek out. Some of the people on the uh, on the internet, on the YouTube video, were definitely uh, taking the piss out of Alex for the way that he handles records. You know, the real snobs are just like, oh my God, he's, he's just mishandling. And oh my God, he's playing it on a subpar system. I'm like, eh, whatever, man. It just made me, you know, go down to my basement and uh you know put something on and listen to and that's that's what you want a rock doc to do and this one was all about just scouring the record stores and crates of uh of um, of the US in this situation but it was cool yeah now those are two rock docs i watched just a quick micro spiel there i have a big backlog as well so i wanted to get you to spin the wheel of spiels we've got books on the tree, Watts on bass, and new tunes. Spin it. Oh, geez. Uh, hit me with some new tunes. Okay, new tunes. Here we go. I got to flip. I've got many, many pages. Many okay. pages. Okay, so I'm going to go really fast, okay? Well, don't go too fast. I just got my pen out. Yeah, well, there's very little on here that you're probably going to write down. <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay, new Joe Strummer box set, 002, the Mescalero's year, 7LP box set. Got to get that. Sloan's got a new LP coming out, Steady, out in October. The Canadian Institution Sloan, the new tracks, Spend the Day and Scratch the Surface, sound great. Classic Sloan, can't wait to get that one. Yeah. There's a, a new Dead Cross record coming out next month on Ipecac. That's, uh, of course, Mike Patton and some guys from The, the Locust and Retox. Whoa, 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 whoa. And Dave Lombardo, right? And Dave Lombardo, yes, of course. Sorry, I skipped over Dave. Uh, New Melvins just came out. Bad Mood Rising on Amrep. Uh, six songs. The opener, Mr. Dog is totally right. Clocks in at 12 minutes long. So, classic Melvins. New Mars Volta coming out next week, I think. Their seventh album on Clouds Hill Records. It's their first since 2012's Nocturnicate. Looking forward to that one. The Wayland Storms got a new record out on Gilead Media. The Silver Snake Unfolds, only on CD and cassette so far, but it sounds great. I'm holding out for the vinyl. If you like the low, slow, and melodic like I do, Wayland Storms, get it. Um, oh, also on the Melvin's tip, Cabbage and Mash. This is a combo that's putting out an EP on AMREP at some point. It is uh, members of the Melvin's, Blondie, Sex Pistols, they cover the Small Faces song, Son of a Baker. It's Dale Crover, Clem Burke, Glenn Matlock. It'll eventually be on a 10-inch, apparently, on AMREP. Hmm. 
Um, I've got a few reissues sprinkled in here too, so bear with me. Thinking Fellers Union Local 282, they reissued their Strangers from the Universe LP. You can pick that up online now, which is awesome. Uh, TV Priest put out a new album called My Other People on Sub Pop, of course. Very cool. Looking forward to the new Archers of Loaf on Merge. Reason in Decline, Love the Loaf. Uh, here's another reissue. The band Sloy are reissuing their album Plug on 19-something. Great French noise rock. They're also releasing a live recording to coincide with that. And 19-something has got some great Lay Thugs records on there too that, you know, didn't come out on AT or whatever. So check out that one. Um, again, all over the place. The classic Canadian hardcore band Youth, Youth, Youth. They're reissuing their Sin record from 1983 on Blue Fog Records. Blue Fog, of mm -hmm. course, mm -hmm. associated with Rick White from Elevator, Eric's Trip. Really, really looking forward to that Youth, Youth, Youth record. That's just amazing. Eastern Canada, early 80s hardcore. Love it. Uh, Black Helicopter put out a 10-inch called Live on Pipeline at Home. A 10-inch on like uh, clear green vinyl love black helicopter i always go back to them when i can't think of something to listen to they never disappoint and i love that they still are putting out stuff uh, a new modern rituals cracking of the bulk from london um, their this is history album was actually in my top 10 i think two years ago so really looking forward to the new modern rituals oh and i was really pumped to see this a new enablers record hmm. some gift on wrong speed records they're, they've got some earlier records on Neurot Records. This is Pete Simonelli doing kind of spoken word poetry over uh, Kevin Thompson on guitar from Nice Strong Arm, that amazing Homestead band, and then uh, Joe Goldring from Swans on Bass. This is a San Francisco combo, new Enablers record. It's awesome. That's it, man. Those are some new tunes. Okay. I've got lots more to spiel about. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> All right, man. Oh, I'm just looking at my list of books. Man, I've got so many books to mention. Maybe next week. We'll see what the Wheel of Spiels brings us. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's get into this awesome Leaving Trains record. History Lesson, Part 1. Okay, so we've had Leaving Trains on a few times. Of course, they started off with their Bringing Down the House 7-inch on Happy Squid from 82 and the Well Down Blue Highway record from 84 on Bemis Brain Enigma. But our first release that we covered on the show, I believe, was SST-71, the Kill Tunes record, and SST-114, the Fuck record, where we had Sam Merrick on. Sam's on this record, along with uh, Eric Stringer. So this is kind of, you know, two back-to-back -back records where we've got Sam and Eric, which brings a lot of continuity. And it also, you know, makes this a really tight combo and a great record for my money. Yeah, and we're going to see him like eight more times, I think, at least on the show. Yeah, I mean, Leaving Trains is one of those bands that were an early SST band. And if you count compilations or best ofs, whatever you want to call it, like they were they were along for the ride until pretty close to the end. Yeah. Yeah, like you mentioned, slight lineup change since 87's Fuck album, along with band leader and lead vocalist and guitarist Falling James Moreland. We've got guitarist and occasional vocalist Sam Merrick, bassist Eric Stringer, and we've got newbie Dennis Carlin on the drum stool taking over for Bruce Gunnell. 
yeah, for Bruce. Like so many of, of the SST albums, Fuck was produced and engineered by Vitas Matare at his Lyceum Sound Recorders. This one was done by Earl Mankey mm-hmm. uh, at his home studio in Thousand Oaks, California. Uh, you for sure have records in your collection produced and engineered by Earl, and you see his studio variously credited on album sleeves as Earl's Rec Room, Earl's Psychedelic Shack, Earl's Cow Palace, Earl's Voodoo Room, etc., etc. On this one, it says somewhere on the Mankey Estates. Yeah. Earl is also a uh, musician himself. He was a founder of Half Nelson, which later morphed into the band Sparks. He played guitar on the debut album under the band name Half Nelson, and then the album was subsequently reissued under the the new name Sparks. Earl's brother Jim played bass um, uh, in Sparks, and he also later on co-founded Concrete Blonde with Jeanette Napolitano. Earl also played on the second Sparks album, A Woofer in Tweeter's Clothing, and uh, did some writing on both albums, actually. You can and should learn more about Earl's exit from the group in the most excellent Sparks documentary that Mm. came out last year. Yeah. Isn't there a manky relationship to the Lazy Cowgirls? Oh, well, it's Earl. Yeah, I'll get to that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. He's sporadically recorded uh, as a solo artist. Has a self-titled compilation you can find uh, with many of the the tracks that he did, like, you know, just as singles or whatever. But he's really made his name as a producer and engineer. I know Earl's name because he's engineered nearly every album by my favorite musician, Mr. Pat Todd. Mm. Most of the Lazy Cowgirl stuff, and I think all of the Rank Outsiders albums, um, he's worked as a producer or an engineer, usually both, on some really well-known records like the Beach Boys' Love You and M.I.U. albums, Elton John's Blue Moves, The Runaways' Queens of Noise. He's done records by The Cramps, The Three O'Clock, The Dickies, Long Riders, Weirdos, The Nymphs, many, many more. Uh, And we'll be seeing him again on the show as well. Yeah. Real fixture in the West Coast scene too, hey? Yeah. Yeah, Sam Merrick told me, the experience of recording with Earl Mankey lit my lifelong love of listening to how songs are sonically assembled. He illustrated mic placement, coached us on poppy harmonies and arrangements, and when to use them, and actually held my guitar against my 412 cabinet to help conjure the right feedback tones. He was a bit older than us and a stable guy. He was out of our league, but treated us like we were important. Uh, he, he went on, the recording process was exciting all the way through. One day I remember distinctly, I was shoving my big amp into Keith Morris's little red Datsun, which I was taking care of while he was on tour. It was a cool, crisp morning. I'd called in sick so I could drive up to Thousand Oaks to do some overdubbing with Earl. We probably made a dozen trips up to Thousand Oaks for that record. And to me, it seems like all the trips were that trip. A beautiful morning, no work, no traffic, and I'm driving Keith Morris's Datsun to lay down some sweet tracks in the studio. That's the way all of my transportational devices' memories feel. That's pretty cool. And, you know, I, I know this lineup were real road dogs. Like, they went, for sure, across the U.S. and over to Europe to but kind of before and after this record. Mm-hmm. So this was recorded summer of 88 and released on CD, LP, and cassette, uh, in, according to Discogs, on February 21st, 1989. So we're no longer kind of periodically dipping our, our toe in 1989, Ryan. We're firmly rolling the calendar over on the show. Yeah. 
Yeah. Same tracks on all three releases too, I believe, right? Yeah. Slightly different artwork just due to size constraints, but that's it. Yeah. And Ryan, this album is also up for streaming. So in fact, many of the albums we'll be getting to in this in this next little while are are up on streaming. So that's cool. Listeners who don't own physical copies can can listen along. Oh yeah. This is a great one to put on. Yeah. Before we go to History Lesson Part 2, Brent, let me hit you with a Spaceman spiel about this record. All right, we still got Spaceman. Yeah, this is, and this is in the section of the catalog called 1989's First Harvest. All right. So it's like way at the back. All right, here we go. Leaving trains, transportational devices. Just listen to her purr as I turn her over. With this in your hands, you own the road and the sidewalk. These trains only go fast and faster on payday, dude the cat, worst, and 12 more. SST-221, LP, cassette, and CD. Let's get into those tracks. Yeah. History lesson, part two. So we've got side side D and side DD. Uh, I think it's side double D, was how I was <laughs> assuming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, track one, side one, Dude the Cat. That's a James song. Uh, if you listen to the lyrics, it's uh, let me tell you. Did you did you figure this out, Ryan, what the song's about? It's not about a cat. No, no. So it starts out, let me tell you about Catherine. Ah. In love with a boy she's never seen. She's going to fly into the sky, going to make poor Sam cry. So ah. S- Sam told me at that time, my roommate, best friend, and now finally my wife, Catherine, was preparing to leave our happy apartment to move to Manchester, England to check out the music scene there. At the time, I believed she was going to hang out for three or five or ten months, maybe longer, but she'd be back. Nope, I didn't see her again for 18 years. What I thought was no big deal, James recognized as a big deal. I thought he wrote a song about my cat, but he was trying to slap me awake. He calls this a classic Falling James narrative style. Uh, He says, Earl suggested more backing vocals and melodic guitar motifs, which help with the poppy vibe. I think he might have used a sample of our voices in that mid-song rhythm section breakdown. Mm. Uh, He said, I'm not sure I even knew what a sample was at that point in time. Yeah, it's got a, like you said, pop. It's definitely got like a... It's a bouncy track, like a almost like a mod or kinks type of vibe to it, which I love. Yeah. I, I made me think of the Lemonheads, maybe, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I see I see it. Yeah. Oh, you th- oh, like, come on, mid to late era Lemonheads have got a kind of a mod vibe for sure. Yep. And it's also the longest track on the album at three minutes. Yeah, there's a lot of short songs on yeah. here. Uh, and I'll, I should just say everything turned out with Sam and Catherine, um, you know, they're married now. Be sure to check out their awesome band, AKA Bell, uh, AKA Bell.org. They make really excellent music videos. I know we've talked about them before and they released a really cool seven inch last year that I know we mentioned in our 2021 roundup. So mm-hmm. check that yep. out. Track two, Love or Die is another James Moreland song, Falling James. This is, you know, that the, tra- this is the trains we're more accustomed to a real ripper with Sam peeling off a, a cool lead melody. For me, it could have been a, a bit longer actually. Like it only does the chorus one time. Yeah. I had the same or a similar comment. I said, this is what I think of when I think of leaving trains, this track. Yeah. Can it even actually be called a chorus if it doesn't repeat? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. 
Maybe not. Good question. Man, you really stumped me there. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I like it when James is yelling in his upper register, too. It just sounds awesome. Uh, Sam told me this is a straightforward song. Dennis and Eric are really hooked together on this one and, and the whole record. He said, my lead motif is weak for this record. To me, it's not as commanding as James's frequent performances of similar parts. Hmm. Not sure I agree with that. I, I love all the the lead guitar playing on this. Oh, there's some tasty stuff. Yep. That, that's why I'm thinking, like, I bet you Brent loves the guitar playing. Yep. Track three, Cement, another Falling James song. With the riff, the slide guitar, the honky-tonk piano, this almost sounds like Jason and the Scorchers or something along those mm -hmm. lines. Again, it's, you know, it's so short. By the time you kind of wrap your head around what's happening, the song's oh, over. Over. Yeah, yeah, I had the exact same comments slide piano it's over yeah sam said to me is the p piano loud to you i played that and knowing sam merrick the way i know sam merrick i bet i bitched and moaned to make this precious piano part louder hmm i, I don't think it's too loud it's in there it it it, it kind of comes across in a way that you have to kind of determine what it is and it's like oh okay that's a piano it's not obvious right off the bat yeah. Uh, the next song here is a James and Sam co-write called Store. The Like, the lyric is basically, I'm going to the store, do you want anything? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the shortest song on the album, 46 seconds. Uh, I like the, the stop and restart in the middle of the song. That's cool. I always like stuff like that. Sam said... My song, but I was struggling for words, so James simply took the last words out of my mouth, and voila. There you go. It's got a great, catchy outro guitar riff, too. Yeah, yeah. As Sam said, uh, Earl suggested coming up with a melodic guitar lead, so I went home and got to work. I think I'm aping the replacement's hospital, but that mm -hmm. riff, in tons of variations, has been one of my go-to tricks ever since. I love a simple drum breakdown. Throughout the album, the drums have great snappy compression. Uh, track five, Diggin' You, written by Kathy Sample. St Sam takes lead vocals on this one. Uh, he does a great job. I love the harmony vocals they throw in throughout this song. It's a kind of a neat garage rocker. The keyboards and the backing vocals give it a real West Coast vibe. The album as a whole is super eclectic. Uh, here's what Sam told me. Kathy had been in the notorious L.A. punk band Mad Society. She was my roommate after Catherine left for Manchester. She also got in the van with us for at least one tour. I was wondering how to pump up the first half of the song, and Earl suggested using a sampler to create that Calliope sound. Uh, according to my memory, the samples were held on floppy disks in a Jerry Seinfeld-style Apple Mac II or something. <laughs> Calio is, is that like the steam organ? Sound? Yeah, is yeah, that, it's yeah. like you know, uh, yeah, it's like a steam organ. That's the sound he's referring to. It's pretty jarring when it first comes on. Like at first, I thought it was a vibraphone, even or something like that. Yeah, I was checking out a bit of Mad Society. I actually, I don't think I'd ever heard them before. Not even sure I'd heard of them, to be honest. Pretty raw, early hardcore. They just had one single on Hit and Run Records, which I assume was their label. Kathy played bass and wrote the songs. Uh, their singer, Steve Metz, was 11 years old. I think that was kind of what they were known for. 
Uh, you can hear on, hear them on some of those Mystic Records comps that have like a zillion bands on them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like The Sounds of Long Beach and Orange County is one comp, or You Can't Argue with Success is mm-hmm. another one they're on. Uh, track six, You're Never Gonna Love Me Anymore, written by Ron Krause of 60s garage band The Buccaneers. Yeah. Uh, they were from Barrington, New Jersey, and this was the A-side of their one and only single. Interestingly, uh, a 60s nugget that hasn't been covered a zillion times. They do a great version. It's so good. Yeah. So this was unearthed by Nigel Strange for Pebbles Volume 9 in 1980, proving there was still great 60s stuff to mine, you know, even though there were literally hundreds, if not thousands, of, of 60s comps, kind of post-nuggets. Yeah. yeah. You can hear the original on YouTube. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty uh, faithful version of it. Sam said, A Nuggets deep cut, another great James singing and guitar job. James has a fierce and heavy hand. That two-string riff drives the song as much as the drums do. What a catchy, killer intro lick. They do a great version of it. It's so catchy. Yeah. Awesome. You know, we'll get to it a bit more maybe on side two, but this definitely, this record for me had this super... 60s garage vibe but just like modern 80s punk attitude to it i loved it yeah yeah track seven payday this one's written again by james and sam Uh, a great rocker about going out and getting loaded on payday sam told me my song james's words why isn't this song in a beer commercial there's that replacements lick again and then he said did you hear james shout earl right near the end of the song Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's a working man blues rocker for yep, me. Yep. Uh, and then track eight, Sue Wants to Sleep, written by Sam and James. Uh, there's a video for this song, directed by Craig Clark and er- Eric Ramsey. I couldn't really find anything out about them. Uh, you know, there's footage of a woman kind of walking around. I guess that's Sue. Uh, mm-hmm. And some footage of the band playing outside, I believe at Santa Monica College, like in a courtyard or something. James is playing one of those tellies with an F-hole, like a semi-hollow. Mm-hmm. Sam's playing a big hollow body. It looks like probably a Gretsch, maybe. Uh, and then uh, Eric Stringer's playing a Rick. This is a standout track. Uh, makes sense that they chose this one for a video. Uh, James's vocal is EQ'd to sound a, like a little distorted, like it's coming through a small radio speaker or something. Got some shaker in the verses. Yeah, I picked that out too. Always love the egg shaker. Yeah. Sam said, my song, but I was struggling for words, so James simply took the last words out of a friend's mouth. He literally <laughs> rolled his eyes before showing me how easy songwriting is to him. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. All right, side double D. We're flipping it over. Uh, we've got Dead Days. This one's written by Chris Cavas and James. Chris is a guy who grew up in Tucson, came up in the Tucson punk scene, joined the band The Surfers, who moved to L.A. and became Green on Red. Mm -hmm. He's played with all of those bands uh, from the Paisley scene, like Dream Syndicate, Steve Wynn's solo band, a bunch of great records under his own name, and with his band Junkyard Love. Uh, He plays some guitars on his albums, but he's primarily known as an organ player. I would recommend his album Pale Blonde Hell and the 1989 self-titled Junkyard Love album. A real Neil Young vibe. Um, 
he played some keys on the train's debut well down blue highway as well mm. yeah i love this track it's got you know such a great riff punctuated by these open chords on guitar a great lazy shredder solo as well um just love this song yeah i don't know if this would have been something that he and james wrote you know during this era or if it you know was an older song that they wrote together ah maybe sam told me awesome trashy punk song the lead the lead is one of my favorites yeah i got lucky i could have easily played it worse it's <laughs> 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 he said it's rare in low budget recording to have ambitious things turn out great uh i agree this is a real killer lead break from sam the, this track rules dead days it just his his references to the replacements twice and that statement i could have played it worse <laughs> yeah oh that just i i get the feels i get the replacements feels with that i love that yeah uh, track two on side double D. The worst is a James song. Just a short one and a half minute rocker. Yeah. Some thunder style leads from Sam. I assume maybe they might be from James. Uh, this is a standout track for me. Uh, really? Well, sorry, like the leads are. I guess. I oh, should say. okay. Yeah, it's so short. Yeah. Uh, Sam said super fun, and again, that rhythm section is just taking care of shit. There is no musical luxury as sweet as being just off tour. So, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they road tested some of these songs. Oh, yeah. Because they toured a lot. Some of these, you can only imagine they would play them, you know, twice as fast and therefore even shorter while live, just pummeling the audience with song after song. Yeah. Uh, track three on this side is Any Old Time, a James song. This is a great one. A kind of gun club feel for me. Yeah, well... I mentioned the garage rock sound. This for me is like a a Nuggets sounding track. Also Gun Club. There's a Gun Clubier song for me later on in the record, but I just love this track, man. What a great song. Like James really wrote some amazing tunes. Yeah, Sam said, "A great falling James song. Why wasn't this a hit? I'd put yeah. it up I'd put it up against popular songs by any of the underground bands of that time." Yeah. Again, James with that signature driving lead motif. Eric's lending dramatic backing vocals. Uh, the way we're playing in unison is really good. Classic, just got off tour tightness. Yeah, and I love the backing vocals. Very simple, but the harmony just makes it sound killer. Yeah. Uh, the next one is Favorite Bar, a James song. Just a short 47-second Ramon-style rocker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a drinking song. There's a few of them on this record. Yeah, Sam said, a fun song, I break out around the campfire sometimes. Hmm. Uh, Bad Mood, another James, Falling James song. The, the kind of dark riffs, you know, for me, suit the lyrics for sure. This sounds very reminiscent of some Angry Samoans tunes for me, this track. Hmm. Similar type of chord structure, I loved it. Sam said, this song bothers me. It's menacing and it feels like being around James when he's in a bad mood. He's got a powerful brain. Well, the song's called Bad Mood. Yep. Up next, Black Hole, uh, yes, written by yes. John Talley Jones. Uh, this is a Urinals cover. The original is on their second single, another EP, released on Happy Squid in 1979. Everyone knows the Urinals, I assume, uh, but if you want more info, I believe Ryan does an in-depth deep dive on episode 197, the Trotsky Ice Pick Baby. Yeah, man. Um, episode uh, where we had urinal kale johansson on as a guest 
Yeah, and when you uh, hit bookage on the Wheel of Spiels coming up, I've got a urinals update for you too on an upcoming episode. Oh, cool. Uh, Sam told me this is a cool song and a good cover in my opinion because the urinals were proudly minimalistic and our version offers a lusher take on it. True. James, but still but still very faithful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. James's Rolling Stones style guitar leads throughout. Uh, Yolo Tango covered this song as well. I'm guessing it's probably been covered other times. The Gun Club yep. covered it. Oh, I love the Gun Club version. Yeah. Ooh. Speaking of which, check out this next track. Everybody Loves a Clown? That sounds like a slinky Gun Club song to me. Yeah, I put The Birthday Party. Kind of a moody rocker. Mm, okay. Conjures an image of a clown that's kind of hit the skids and is down on his luck. <laughs> Definitely lying in the gutter, lots yeah. of stubble with a like an empty bottle with three X's on it in his hand. Yeah, that kind of noisy discordant guitar thing happening behind the riff, like maybe a little Roland S. Howard-esque. Maybe that's why I thought of the, the birthday mm. party. Yeah, yeah. Sam said, I've been writing this song for 25 years. We were touring in Germany there were a lot of coffee shops and I spent a lot of time feeling existential. My first German coffee shop sleaze opera song. Right on. Yeah. And that's the record. 15 tracks, man. Yeah. Sam told me transportational devices is a super fun record. 15 songs in 26 minutes, but nothing feels too short. It benefits from its fantastic producer and really tight lineup. I would agree with that. It is a great sounding record. So Ryan, I have the uh, press kit for Sleeping Underwater Survivors, the next record. Uh, and it has, of course, as is the practice, some reviews of this one. Yeah. Yeah. Here's from Rolling Stone. It got reviewed in Rolling Stone. Meanwhile, in the Los Angeles chapter of Garageland, the leaving trains make a demon noise on transportational devices. Where earlier trains records often suffered from lack of focus, this one is focused with a vengeance. The mm. trains plow through 15 songs in just under 27 minutes, like the Dream Syndicate on speed. By the time they're finished with songs like Payday and Bad Mood, there's nary an ounce of fat left. Does it say who wrote that review? It does not. Okay, I'd be curious. Uh, there's one here from The Guardian, actually, by Glenn Arnold. What better place to hide something real special so that nobody could ever find it than somewhere in the city of Los Angeles. The Leaving Train's main force, singer-songwriter, tortured guitarist, Falling James Moreland, draws his inspiration from Raymond Chandler and the Ramones, and the juxtaposition is set out in songs like Cement and A Drunker Version of You. It's eerie, but always right. This is music for an unkinder, tougher nation. The bands just re returned from Europe, where they played in a porno film and got picked up for vagrancy, among other adventures. See them while they're still glad to be back. <laughs> Not sure what that's all about, playing in a porno film. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't stumble across that in my research. There's an article in here from the LA Weekly, November 17th to 23rd, 1989, where they talk about, about going to see uh, Arthur Lee in Love. Mm. The band did. Yep. Oh, so here's what he says. I guess this is a review of a, this is Lottie Da, the, the gossip column by Belissa Cohen uh, in the LA Weekly. Falling James, Courtney Love, who James was married to for like, I don't know, a month or something like that. 
yeah around this time the the they weren't even long enough married long enough to like have to get divorced or whatever the the marriage got annulled falling james courtney love and johnny holiday of the hangman uh, drove out to malibu to watch uh, arthur lee do a show and somehow i'm guessing courtney was involved in this there was a they got into a fight with sylvester stallone whoa <laughs> yeah so that's that's the gossip column there you know obviously stuff you know stuff like this kind of gets mentioned when it comes to the leaving trains kind of the volatility and the you know james's on stage you know persona i guess is one of you know uh you know you, do not, you never know what's going to happen i guess at a at a leaving train show here's a little thing from this article in blow up long beach underground not sure who this is by but it says because of drunken behavior, outspokenness, and other mischievousness, the trains have been banned from just about all of LA's clubs, and in April, they released their fourth album on local SST records, Transportational Devices, to seemingly near oblivion. I'm hoping this is a matter of distribution not kicking in yet, because Devices, produced by Earl Mankey, is one of the best records of the year. No, I haven't listened to every album released by every label. That's just something us rock scribes say when something is really worth checking out. There's, of course, that old train's punk energy on the record that makes every show a roller coaster ride, daring you to just let go and have fun. But it's more tuneful and rocking than anything they've done. It's an album of singles that, if put out by the replacements or Soul Asylum, it would have been hailed across this land. But you definitely get a sense that, you know, the band had a reputation for sure. Yeah. Here's from Trouser Press on transportational devices. Ira Robbins says, this record is so similar that it might as well be titled Fuck 2. Again, characterized by Blink and you'll miss some 4-4 four, four blowouts. And James is so spontaneous, they must be one-take vocals. The trains nevertheless integrate a bluesy skanker, Dude the Cat, and two driving cool rockers, any old time, and you're never going to love me anymore, that would do kill tunes justice. There's also a striking rendition of the urinals, later known as 100 Flowers, anti-pop obscurity, black hole. Fun from start to finish. Can't disagree with that. Yeah. And I also caught this one quote from Joe Carducci and Rock and the Pop Narcotic about the leaving trains because you know we're on album four and we know there's a lot to go but these two records back to back when you listen to them it's like yeah they're definitely coming into their own a tight unit and here's what joe carducci said about them which i thought was great um it's it's a short quote but i i think totally makes sense it says the leaving trains improved with age though lineup changes were constant hmm. and and i think that that kind of speaks to james actually yeah. It's not that the backing band didn't matter, but I think, you know, James's vision really got a little bit more solidified and the direction got a little bit more solidified. That's why, you know, when you listen to Trains records and we'll, when we go through them, I like every Leaving Trains record, but they all just keep getting better for me. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be people saying to us, you know, you should have Falling James on the show as a guest. Believe me, I've tried three times now. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't like looking backwards, so have to respect that. Hey, Ryan, let's talk about the artwork. Yeah, man. This is where uh, the Barracuda comes in that I mentioned at the outset of the show. Did you catch that? Mm -hmm, I did, yeah. Cover art by 
Howie Gelb. Um, Howie is another Tucson dude, mainly known as the leader of the, the roots band Giant Sand, of which Chris Kakavis actually was one of the members. Uh, their first record, Giant Sands, came out in 85, and as far as I know, they're still an active band. Um, pretty consistently released albums throughout that time, well over 20 studio albums, I'd guess. Um, this, I, I'm not even sure I would have known this was a car if it, you know, if it didn't have that uh, hood vent or whatever you call those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and it shows like the the windshield washer blades and stuff there. But yeah. Yeah. It give, gives it away on the back by saying, you know, front cover Barracuda painting. It looks like he kind of painted around the damage on the vehicle. Like, you know, that triangle on the, I don't know, I, the angel or whatever she is. Like, I'm assuming that's a halo with those little paint damage things up above her head and down below it kind of almost looks like Aztec art or something like this. Yeah. They also kind of have like a robot feel though too. It's, yeah. it's hard to tell what exactly is going on, but it's a great painting for the cover of a rusted up Barracuda. And I, I actually love how it's only on half of the hood. I, I love that. So uh, I found this thing, uh, a piece in magnet magazine from October, 2012 written by Howie. It's called From the Desk of Howie Gelb, A Car is a Horse. And there's a picture of this car in it, and it's the the whole thing's green, the, the hood. So uh, I'm not sure what happened on the, the other side of this hood, but he said, A car is a horse, and mine was a Barracuda 1966 model. I found it in a driveway when I lived in Hollywood for a few minutes the first time around. The folks said, if I could get her running, I could have it for 200 bucks. So I did. Didn't take much. It was a green Barracuda, originally from Tacoma. Now in my possession, this was a car I had sought after for a while, and one had found me. I just walked up to the door and knocked where the thing was parked in the driveway and collecting weeds, and that was that. It was a fine ride out in the desert once I got it highway-worthy. The year I got her was 1985, or thereabout. Soon enough, I was driving it back and forth to Arizona and California. I even tried to invent a swamp cooler for it that fit in the small trunk, but it didn't really work out without a more powerful fan. He says, I raised my daughter Indonesia in that car. I would usually have to find a large bus or semi-truck to drive next to it on the freeway so I could hang out for a while in its shadow, just enough to not singe my poor kid sitting in her child seat. In fact, I hadn't ever had air conditioning in a car until 1994. At some point, I painted it, more like tattooed it. I had a job as a set painter in Hollywood, and one day on a break, I just drew all over it. The tattoos show up on some album cover art on love songs, and also as a cover for a Leaving Trains album. Mm. I even saw it once on a Chris Isaac bootleg CD cover. Not sure how that happened. Yeah, and then he goes on to talk about how eventually someone knocked on his door and asked him if, if it was for sale, and he sold it. So It's probably been fully restored now. Yeah. Then you've got the back cover of uh, the band in their in their van, taken by Cliff Tobias, who uh, I checked uh, with Sam was uh, like a uh, like a guy that was on the road with them. I guess a you know a roadie. Yeah, merch guy. Yep. Yeah, they definitely look like road warriors, going from town to town. Probably need a shower. Probably need a good meal, but just got to make it to the gig. Great pictures. We have some dead wax, Ryan. We do. Should I do the honors? Please. Okay, so side D says, 
time is the crusher. And then the flip says, sleeping underwater survivors. Ballot result time. Yeah, man. Ballot result. So for me, I would go with either dead days or any old time. Those are those are the tops for me. I actually like You're Never Gonna Love Me Anymore, like probably as one of my faves, but I don't, I'd rather put um, an original on. So dead days or any old time. Yeah, I, I like Dude the Cat, Love or Die, You're Never Gonna Love Me Anymore, Payday, Sue Wants to Sleep. But yeah, my two faves were Dead Days and Any Old, any old Time. Let's do oh, Dead Days. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I love the guitars on it, man. Yeah. Such great guitar playing on that. Killer. Yeah. I gotta be honest with you, man. Like, I was having a hard time getting back into Mojack mode. Uh-oh. But this record kind of did it for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, a great record to come back with. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And I mean... It's been a long time since I listened to this record, like a really, really long, years, Yeah, easily years since I've listened to this record. And man, I, I played it about as much this last week as I have any record when I'm getting ready for a show. It, I did not get tired of it for a second. It's a great one to listen to. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, thanks uh, to Sam Merrick for sending some stuff in. Yeah, man. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brent, we're getting into SST 222, the Henry Kaiser Remarrying for Money record. Can't wait. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.